All right, guys, welcome to our first ever uh, MHBC Book Club podcast. We're going to be looking, as we spoke uh, recently in our previous introduction, on the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, and the kind of the subtitle of the book is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Uh, I'm Connor Alford. Hey, and I'm Ryan. Uh, we're excited that you guys are spending some time with us today as we look at this book. At really, not so much the the person, um, the person and work of Jesus, but I guess the best way to describe it is what it would be like if Jesus was actually in the room with you. You know, sometimes we read uh, the scriptures, and I, I know for myself, Ryan, sometimes it's really hard for me to sort out those personal elements of Jesus versus the elements of his ministry, like how he would really interact or how he would really talk. And so I think this book does a really good job of doing that. So, Yeah, I, I agree. I think just part of ministry, part of, part of preaching and teaching is we deal so much with um, the acts of Jesus, of the, of the cross of Christ, of his resurrection, and, and what those accomplished for us, and then uh, kind of the theology of Jesus uh, which is good and wonderful. We need to talk about those things, but I think we often do we neglect the person of Jesus and who he was and what motivated him. Um, and so I think this is is a needed book. It's really a book that's gotten a lot of hype. We've heard a lot of good things about this book and how great it is. And so, what did you say when you when I first said that we were going to do this book? I, I, honestly, I was kind of scared because there was so much hype about it that I was a little nervous that it wasn't going to live up to it. And I was right, really disappointed. Yeah. Uh, but but it's been good so far. I mean, it's not like I've just read a ton of it. We're just here in chapter one, which really chapter one I think lays out what what's going to be the theme of the book that Jesus is one who is gentle and lowly, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, but it's been good so far. I think it's a needed book. I think it's one a lot of people need to to read to be reminded uh, of who Jesus is and his his love for you and his care for you. Right. Well, speaking of Jesus' love and his care, I think when we get into the text today, so Dane Ortland takes a really a, a verse of scripture all in every chapter of his book and speaks to how or, or shares about how that speaks to the person of Jesus, about who he was and um, and 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 basically how he lived in his heart for his people. And this first chapter comes out of that famous passage that we love so much um, in Matthew 11, and I'm just going to read verse 28 for context, but it's really verse 29. It says, Come to me all who uh, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we see here that those words, gentle and lowly, they're the title of the book. I believe they're kind of the general, the not the general, but the overall premise for why uh, Dan Orland is writing the book to describe what those words mean. Yeah, and uh, I think we're going to see in each chapter kind of his, his method, if you could say that, how he goes about looking at the person of Jesus as he's going to take a, a verse of scripture, a passage of scripture, and kind of contemplate that a little bit and think on that and work through that. He's going to do that while being informed by, by church history. And so we're going to see um, him quote people like the Puritans and, and well-known preachers and pastors. And so uh, I think that's going to be really interesting. But yeah, I love that, that Jesus is gentle and that Jesus is, is lowly um, is, is how it starts. It's really the theme of the book. Well, for any of you guys who know me, you know that I'm a Puritan nerd. I love to read the Puritans. I talk about them often. You know, we were in the office a few weeks ago, and um, normally, we, Ryan and I, myself and Andy, we're, we're normally preaching and teaching in different venues and 
Uh, and so we'll, we'll borrow each other's books sometimes. So uh, I've, got a, I've got an open door policy. Ryan and Andy can walk in and grab a book off my shelf when they want to. Same thing with Ryan or with, with Andy. And a few weeks ago, uh, for those of you who know Eric, Eric is not the same way. So Eric is our worship guy, and he loves, uh, man, he loves worship. But uh, and 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 he, I believe, he enjoys reading too sometimes, but not like the rest of us do. And he's not a nerd like the rest of us are. So we were in the office, and one day I just yelled out, "Has anybody borrowed my Puritan theology textbook?" And Eric was like, "Yeah, we've all been standing in line for that one." So. <laughs> You know, um, and, but see, Ryan thought that was a valid question because we, we tend to read a lot of the same things. And, and one of the reasons the Puritans are so helpful, you may say, why, are, why would we ever read or care about what the Puritans said? And I believe that a lot of our, um, uh, a lot of our textbooks really don't paint a very good picture of the Puritans. They were almost, you know, when we think of Puritans, the first thing we think of is the scarlet letter and an oppressive society and people who were... Um, who who did not have fun, but really the Puritans understood that there was something better than happiness, and it was joy. And so some of their preaching and teaching was the best that there's ever been. And so there, there's just a rich theological depth to the things that they said. And I know that, that Dane Ortland really draws on that throughout these chapters, and I'm appreciative of that. So Yeah, and, and I like that too. And obviously, you know, Scripture is our supreme authority. You know, we go to the Scriptures, and that's, that's the end of the matter is, is what we believe the Bible to be saying. But we also know that our understanding of Scripture is oftentimes kind of informed by church history, that we kind of stand on the shoulders of of those who have come before us, whether, I mean, um, that, that's the early church, the early um, church fathers, all the way back to, to the Reformation, um, and, and people like Martin Luther and John Calvin, even to just well-known pastors and preachers and theologians, um, even ones we don't know, that we, we don't recognize their influence over us, but they've influenced the way we understand the Bible and understand who Jesus is, and that's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. It's kind of a, a gracious gift of God that we have such great men and women of the faith um, that God has gifted to help us understand the Bible and what he's saying and to, um, to help us understand theology and who Jesus is and what he's done and what he continues to do. Um, Connor, what do you think about the very beginning of the chapter? It's really the first thing that, um, that, uh, that Dane Ortland talks about is he talks about that in the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's 89 total chapters of text. And there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart, and that's the passage you just read a minute ago, Matthew chapter 11. Only one place. Right. That's, that's pretty incredible. I think it really shares to us, or, or it really tells me it's something that I need to pay attention to, and it can be something that's really central to who Jesus is. Like, we, we can read this and understand who Jesus is, his heart for sinners, his heart for sufferers, his heart for those who are anxious and hurting out of what his heart is like. So what about you? Yeah, I, I was really surprised by that. It was really something, in a lot of ways, I hadn't really thought about before. Um, but then once I read that, I started thinking about it. I mean, it's true that um, I think often we do neglect the heart of Jesus and who he is and what motivates him and, and kind of what stirs within him when he sees sinners and sufferers um, or as Brendan Manning always likes to say, ragamuffins like us, right. uh, what that stirs within him. So, Ryan, give us uh, just really briefly, as you read the chapter, give us just kind of a brief overview of kind of what happens in this chapter, or what Ortland tries to achieve here, and then also kind of your, your, your first thoughts on the chapter. Yeah. Um, so really, this chapter, he kind of just meditates on two different words, that Jesus is gentle 
uh, and that Jesus is lowly. And in a lot of ways, he, he talks about that these words could almost be seen as synonyms, but there's some slight nuance uh, between them. So that word gentle in the language of the New Testament, it's, it's uh, not trigger happy, it's not harsh, it's not reactionary, it's not easily exasperated. Um, but that Jesus is, is humble and he is gentle and he is so by, by, vir, by virtue. He's not prideful, um, he's not selfish, but that he is selfless, that he is gentle. But also, not only is Jesus gentle, that he is lowly. And really, Dan Ortland talks about that what it means for Jesus to be lowly is that Jesus is accessible, that we can, we can come to Jesus, that he um, is not only humble by virtue, but he is humble by circumstance. And we see this in the life of Jesus, uh, that he was born in a manger, in, um, in a stable or in a barn, um, that he didn't have just a life of, of um, pleasure and excess and um, we also know that Jesus ended up being, being murdered on a cross, and that's really not the life we would expect of the king of the universe. Um, and so Jesus is accessible, and that's probably one of the main things that stuck out to me. Someone um, as powerful as, as Jesus, the king of the cosmos, the very one through whom God created the world, the one through whom um, God upholds the universe, the one who saves us and sustains us, um, God himself but he's accessible. And that's, I think, such um, kind of a contrary idea to, to our world and to our culture that uh, really all throughout history, when you look at the powerful people, they're not accessible. Um, I mean, we read stories of, of kings and princes. If, if you tried to approach them and you weren't supposed to, I mean, you might have your head lopped off. Um, and we even see that in our own culture today. People who are powerful um, in, in whatever way or whatever fashion usually aren't accessible. I can't walk up, you know, walk down Pennsylvania Avenue and walk down or walk in the front door of the White House and ask to speak to the president. It doesn't work like that. But Jesus, the, the most powerful person who's ever lived, God in the flesh, and he is accessible to, uh, to not just anybody, but to sinners and to sufferers like us. That's a good word, and you know I, I want to go back to something that you said uh, that you pointed out. Ortland was speaking to when he talked about the word gentle. Um, he says that gentle really means meek and humble. Um, and then that statement: Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh or reactionary, or easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person on the universe. You know, there have been times in my life, and even as a pastor, sometimes I struggle with that. You know, when I when I sin or when I fail or when I mess up, you know, that, that thought of God or Jesus being trigger happy or harsh or just, I really even think exasperated, uh, sometimes comes to the forefront of my mind. I know that it's wrong, but you just, you try to push that back because you know that you, you've done something wrong and, and God doesn't see you in that. But why do you think that, um, why do you think that people kind of sense Jesus as trigger happy or easily exasperated or reactionary around our sin or struggle or what we're going through? You know, I think in a lot of ways that's just our sin nature. Like that's just who we are as people and as sinners. Like that's what we expect. That when we wrong someone, when we've hurt someone, um, I mean, we don't really expect them to act, you know, to, to, to act towards us humbly and, and forgivingly and, and lovingly. Um, we do expect them to be harsh, and we really expect payback and, and for them to get even because that's really the way of the world. And so it's hard to see someone like Jesus, especially, uh, really it's hard to see someone like, you know, anybody act that way, but especially someone like Jesus who has every right not to act that way towards us. 
Uh, but he does because he loves us and he's kind towards us. And so I think that's why it's so difficult is because it's so otherworldly. You know, I, I agree with that, and I see it. I see it in the world when I see how people react to one another. But I also see it, uh, unfortunately, sometimes in myself. You know, it's, uh, it's such a true statement that we often attempt to make God in our own image. And until we know Christ, and until we know the Christ of the Bible, the the God that we have is the God that we formed in our minds, right? And so often, unfortunately. Um, I can be trigger happy, and I can be harsh, and I can be reactionary, and I know that I get easily exasperated at times. And so um, I have to realize, and, and this chapter has shown me in, in Christ's heart for his people, uh, for, for those that he loves, for, for, for those that he has saved, that he, he's not reactionary, that he's not easily exasperated in the same way that I am. And I have to let the Bible inform who Jesus is and not simply my own sin nature, my own life. And so, unfortunately, sometimes we we make God out of who we are instead of who the Scriptures say He is. And so, this was just for me. And, and sometimes it feels right, doesn't it? I mean, ultimately, when we're talking about God and we begin to think, uh, quote, quote, unquote, religiously, then we become harsh, we become judgmental, we become easily exasperated with people when they're not at the place that we are. But the truth is, Jesus really redefines all of that in, in knowing that the God of the universe, who, who was and is perfect, looks at us not with easy exasperation over what we've done over and reactionary over the times that we mess up and not trigger happy to condemn us or to judge us but rather with open arms that's a beautiful truth that, that I think a lot of us that are listening and even myself we have to let that sink in because a lot of times we can believe that in our head but in our hearts when we sin sometimes we, we don't get there do we yeah, and uh, I mean, and it's true. Like, and, you know, it's a truth. Like in my life, I found hard to believe at times, and I'm sure we all have um, that Jesus would be gentle and lowly and kind and forgiving towards us. I often think, you know, we we call Satan, we refer to him as the accuser of the brethren. That he so often reminds us of our sins and our past failures. Um, and when he does that, when that happens, it brings up those feelings of shame and guilt, and you begin to. We can even wonder, like, why would Jesus continue to forgive someone like me? Like, it's amazing he even saved me in the first place. But even after that, I still mess up and I still fall short and I still sin against God. And so, like, why would he continue to forgive me day after day? Why would his mercies continue to be new every morning? But the truth of the matter is that, that God doesn't feel that way towards us. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't see our sins. He doesn't see our past guilt. But when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and those who have um, trusted in the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And so we have no reason to be shameful and to feel guilty. Um, I think we have to remind ourselves of that every day, to preach that gospel message to ourselves, even after we've been saved, that God loves us, that he forgives us, um, that he continues to do so day after day, that his mercies are new every morning. That's really good, man. So on page 18, uh, right after they give the scripture, that Matthew 11, 28 through 30, um, it, it talks about really what the Bible tells us, the core of who Jesus is. And it goes back to what Spurgeon was saying a few pages before on that there's only one place in the Bible where it tells us about Jesus' heart. And notice there he, he gives these statements. Um, we're not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. 
Uh, we're not told that he's exalted and dignified in heart. We're not told, even told that he is jo joyful and generous in heart. We're told that he is gentle and lowly. And to me, I think that that, that really puts into perspective as we relate to God. You know, often I hear people talk firstly about God's holiness, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, or that he's, uh, he's to be exalted and to be worshipped. But this truth of, of Jesus' heart for us shows us how we can really interact with Jesus knowing how he's going to respond. I mean, for those of us, like our close family, we know when we talk to them, uh, as we grow closer and closer and closer, how they're going to respond to, uh, to what we do, to how we talk to them, to the things that we say and speak. And so uh, for us, I think it's, it's, it, it takes some retraining of our, of our hearts and really of our posture before God to understand that that Jesus' heart, uh, although he is austere and, uh, and demanding in a sense that he wants us to follow after him, although he is exalted and dignified, although he is joyful and generous, at, at his heart of hearts, when he looks at us, he's gentle and lowly. And to me, that, was, that brought a sense of freedom. So, Yeah, and, and Ortland kind of expounds on that a little bit, where he does kind of talk about, I think it's about around page 21, that... Jesus is gentle and lowly, and it is balanced by his holiness. And you see that because in this same passage where it says Jesus is gentle and lowly, right before this, he, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida. Um, and so it's not, I think as he says, that Jesus is mushy and frothy. He doesn't just ignore sin. He said he pays for sin. He paid that price. And then I love on, like, towards the bottom of 21 when he says Jesus can't ungentle himself towards his own, that though Jesus is holy, though he is righteous, though he can't stand sin, he, he pays for our sin, and then he is always gentle towards us in a way that he can't be ungentle because it's who he is. He can't stop being gentle towards us. Mm, that's good. You know, I think that when we get at the heart of what this chapter is saying, um, we have so many ways that we react to God. When I say the word God, everybody has kind of this thought that comes to their mind of, maybe what God looks like, or really how they react to God, God's characteristics, who He is. Um, and Ortland says here that gentle and lowly, according to Jesus' own testimony, it is, it's His very heart. This is who He is. He's tender, He's open, He's welcoming, He's accommodating and understanding. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, Ortland says, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is gently, gentle and lowly. And to me, that speaks volumes, to know that, that Jesus, when he looks at us, we, we're true to Jesus' teaching when we say he is gentle and lowly in his, in his disposition towards his sheep, towards his people. So that's a powerful truth. These aren't just knee-jerk statements about Jesus. This isn't just a, uh, a feel-good um, book, but it is the truth about who Jesus is from the scriptures, from his word. So and that's powerful. Yeah, it really is. And the last thing that kind of stuck out to me is, you know, when Jesus says that he is, is gentle and that when he is lowly, that we can come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden, um, and I will give you rest. That rest doesn't mean life is going to be easy and it's just going to be a breeze. As Ortland points out, Jesus brings rest for our souls, not our bodies, that we're still going to have um, toil, we're still going to have trials, um, and he talks about this at the top of, of 22, that the Christian life is inescapably one of toil and labor, and that Jesus made that clear. But our toil 
uh, flows out of fellowship with the living Christ whose transcending, defining reality is gentle and lowly. Um, and so then really you see kind of this call for, for Christians is, um, is that only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. And so that's really the call of, of Christians to recognize the gentleness and the lowliness of Christ and to try to emulate that, to be kind in our own lives, knowing that we're not going to be perfectly gentle and perfectly lowly um, like Jesus, but to, to be kind towards others, to kind of give them a glimpse of heaven, to give them a glimpse of Christ. Mm. That's so good. I, 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 I completely agree with you on all that. I think that if we're looking for myself at just some application points out of this, maybe you're listening to this on podcast or you're watching with us. We're so excited that you're here. But um, I, I think for us, there there's two specific application points. And then, Ryan, you might have something as well in there. That how do we? Uh, how, how does this change how we live? How does this change um, how we interact with Jesus and how we know Jesus? The first way, I believe, is at the bottom of page 22. It says, consider what Jesus is saying. When he talks about a yoke being... Heavy. That's as we look in verse 20, um, 20 uh, or, uh, yeah, verse 30, excuse me. Uh, when Jesus is saying a yoke is heavy, basically uh, a crossbar is laid on an oxen to force them to drag, uh, some, uh, to drag something so that they can plow the field. And Jesus is saying that the yoke that's, la- that's being laid on the oxen is actually not heavy at all. And that just doesn't make any sense. The disciples, I'm sure, were wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Um, but the, the Ortland uses this incredible imagery here to say it's, it's a lot like if you see a drowning man and you throw him out a life preserver. He's out, he's drowning, he's going under the water, he's taking in, uh, he's taking water into his lungs, and you throw a life preserver out and you say, um, hey, grab on this life preserver. And that, that the person that's out there, they're struggling to breathe, they're drowning, basically says, no way, not me. Uh, this is hard enough drowning in these stormy waters. I'm not adding any weight to what I'm putting on. I'm not adding any weight to, uh, it's going to make it harder and harder for me to swim. Uh, the last thing that I need is the added burden of a life preserver on my body. And so sometimes uh, Ortland says we're like that, uh, confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding the deep fellowship with Him out of a, he calls it a muted or a, a lesser than understanding of Christ's heart. And so sometimes we're unwilling to put on the person and work of Christ to live in his presence because we think it's some added burden to us when in essence it is what lifts up our souls. It's what helps us to know God and to uh, his presence is, is, is God with us that we might uh, know him and fellowship with him. And it's a, it's a lessening of a burden, not a deepening of one. Uh, we're not trying to lay religion on people's shoulders. We're trying to throw them a life preserver to say, hey, my yoke is easy. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that his yoke is easy. The second thing I, I believe is uh, we can apply. Uh, it kind of goes back to what I said a few minutes ago, Ryan, about um, Jesus and how our sinful instincts or our skewed instincts well, sometimes uh, we, we project those onto Jesus. And on the bottom of page 23, he says, uh, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts about how the world works. And so we, we often put on Jesus 
really how we live in our hearts when, in essence, we should be uh, looking to the Bible to see who He is. And it goes on to say human nature dictates that the wealthier a person, the more they tend to look down on the poor. And the more beautiful a person, the more they put off or put off by the ugly. And without realizing what we're doing, sometimes we quietly assume that because God is so high and exalted and mighty and powerful and holy, that He doesn't really want anything to do with us. Sure, He just... He, he's, he's okay with us, and we're just kind of here, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with us. But when we look in the scriptures, we see that Jesus ate with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those who were on the edges of society, part of the, 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 the lowliest. And, and I believe it speaks to Jesus, uh, his, his character and his heart for his people to say that, that, that the, holy, uh, the holiest of the holy people who have ever lived, King Jesus, isn't put off by our sin. But rather, he steps into those situations um, and and brings the cross and brings redemption to us, but also just wraps us up in his arms because he loves us and cares for us. And I think that's a beautiful truth. Yeah, and I agree. And if I just had to say, you know, one thing to, you know, a third thing to apply from this chapter is just to remember, just to remember these truths that Jesus truly is gentle and lovely. Uh, and gentle and lowly towards you and to, to preach that to yourself every day, to preach that to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Um, that um, as kind of one of the last things that Orton says in this chapter on 24, that the, the God revealed in the scriptures, he shows us that Jesus is one whose infinitude of perfections is matched by his infinitude of gentleness. That Jesus is gentle towards you and he will never stop being gentle towards you. Remind yourself of that each and every day. Mm. Such a good such a good book and such a good word and truth for us today. Um, guys, I'm so thankful that you all have tuned in to listen to our first week of MHBC Book Club. Uh, as you read this chapter, if you have other questions for us about how we interacted with the book and the chapters, uh, or even if you read ahead to next week, that's kind of what we're looking for. We're looking for you to have read chapter one by now. If you haven't done it, then hurry up and read it. And next Sunday night, we'll be looking at chapter 2. And so read it, and if you have questions about it, if you don't understand what a word means, or there's a way that you reacted to the chapter, email us, text us, call us. We want to know so that we can uh, just, just best minister to everybody. And that's the beauty of being a part of a book club is we don't have to have all the answers before we get there. But as we all chew on this together, we can understand it, and we can know it better, and we can know more about the heart of Jesus for us. So thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, I'm Connor Alford. And I'm Ryan. We'll see you guys soon. Have a great day.